Well, hello, Ron. Good to have you here. Good morning, Tanya, or, or good day, Tanya, I should say. Yeah. Well, you know what? Welcome. This is the very first episode of the Gab Lab for Nail the Numbers, and uh, really beyond excited to have you here to speak to entrepreneurs. Um, for those of you listening in who are not familiar with Ron's work, Ron has been heeding the call of entrepreneurs for the, the distress call, the distress signal um, for, for decades now. And with Nail the Numbers, you've been a part of this program for the last uh, five years, going back and counting. You jumped on board in 2015 and really, again, so thrilled that you are here for this episode um, to help entrepreneurs through a global pandemic. Uh, in all our work together, Ron, we've always talked about emergency funds and the importance of profit, and we never foresaw this one. We never talked about this one and why it's important to get money set aside. So again, welcome, and uh, really, really pumped to have you here. So, Thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh, before we dive in, uh, just so everybody knows how we're going to be breaking up this episode, we've got so much important content to share with you. Uh, again, Ron is just a, a genius in this area. His superpowers are demystifying how to profit, um, especially now for restaurateurs and in rural locations. So we're going to be breaking up uh, this episode into three different segments. The segment that we're about to explore right now is best practices um, for any restauranter, regardless of a pandemic. And then our second segment, we're going to be moving into holding the line. So different things that you can do to create efficiencies in your operations through COVID. And then our third segment is going to be what we're calling quick fire. So Ron's going to be throwing out a whole bunch of really great innovative ideas not so much necessarily to pivot your business, but to really look at different ways to generate uh, revenue and income and get that top line coming in as strong as possible through COVID, because really none of us have any idea what we're in for here going forward. With that being said, Ron, why don't we just get right down to business and, and start crunching numbers, taking a look at, at best practices. And you know, I know you've been in the food industry for a while. I have also been in the food industry and it's a tough racket to get into the best of times. Um, the research I was able to pull up shows that anywhere from 59 to 69% of restaurateurs don't make it in their first you know, year to three years of business. And now here we find ourselves in the middle of a global pandemic. And you know, I've been saying for a while now, Having gone through a business bankruptcy in 2009, I know that COVID did not cause the financial fragility. It simply exposed it. So I'm so excited to have you kind of share your ideas on really how to build a healthy restaurant from the start, again, outside of a, outside of a pandemic. So where do you want to start with this, Ron? What makes sense for you? Well, first of all, you know, as you indicated, restaurants are the, the type of business that turns over the most. I mean, it's and it's the ones that are always hit the hardest and they have razor thin margins for the most part. So it's really even more critical that when we start out, that we really understand. So even let's take a look at COVID right now as a catalyst. And what we mean by that is, is the owners, they need to take a step back and look at their business. Take a good look and see. What worked well when they were operating at, at their capacity? What are the things that they were doing? 
And so when, when you can look at the efficiencies that you had in your own business, whether it's the, the meals or the menu, you know, what, what were the customers telling about you? So having taken a step back is we have to take into consideration what worked well and what can we build upon that? So now this pandemic has changed the world as we know it. It's never going to be the same as always. There's going to be a new normal. It's not going to be, so we need to change the way we do business. We need to change the way we think, and we have to adapt to the culture. So when we look at COVID, it's sort of, you know, it can be a blessing if we wanted to, or it can be an opportunity if we wanted to. So, and we have to look at the optimistic side of things. So what can we do in order to make sure that we go through this COVID um, pandemic? So, and this will follow us years to come. Even when the pandemic is over, it's going to change the way that we do business. So just take a step back, taking a look at your business and seeing what are the things that we could improve. Even in sort of the downtime that we had, some of these businesses had downtimes, you know, from March 14th to whenever they reopened the restaurants, is that it should have given you a time to really sort of nasal gaze. I can, you know, stop and take a look. And, you know, walk through your restaurant, you know, like, is your kitchen efficient? Is it working in the best capacity? Um, is everything clean? Is the processes good? Your inventory control, your, you know, your POS systems, um, your tables, your chairs, is there any repairs to be made? Your storefront, this would have been a good time to be able to reflect. And it's not too late. So, I think COVID can be a catalyst to our next level of business. And I think this is what we need to look at when we look at um, transitioning to the new normal. So if we look at coming back to the best practices, though, of current businesses, I think we got to look at the quality and the control. What we mean, people are accustomed to go to certain places and they want the same thing. If I order something on the menu... I'd like to be able to go back and order that very same thing and expect the same taste that I had before. Where I find some restaurants are losing it is that you may have three or four different chefs or cooks in the kitchen, and they all prepare differently. They all have their own twists. So depending on what night you go or what day you go, you order the same thing off the menu, you may get something totally different. And this has happened to my wife and I. So in that sort of well, maybe we're not going to go there again because we can't depend on it. So the quality of the product and the quantity of the product is very important when we come to, you know, surviving in this food sector. And when we talk about the quantity control is simply, you know, we, we keep emphasizing. To give you an example, I was working with one restaurant and I said, okay, I, and I went in three different times in the same restaurant, ordered the same meal when there were three different cooks, and I had the quantities on the plates were from very small to very large for the same menu item. So when we talk about quantity, there's got to be some consistency. What I find that's happening in a lot of cases is that people are measuring by volume, but you're buying by weight. So you need to measure by weight when you're serving it on the plate because volume will be a totally different number than if you, uh, than if you use weight systems. So the, the quality of the product is very important, and there should be some sort of quality checks. And the quantity control of what's on your plate, you know, one of the things that we always say in the restaurant business, if you've got too much food coming back on your plate, you're just putting way too much stuff on your plate. So, you know, and again, it depends mm -hmm. on, your, on your customer base. So the quality and, and, and the quantity is very important. I love that you're talking about this. I'm also thinking when you started off with this concept of 
just COVID as a catalyst and taking a look at best practices. Can we just go back there for a second? Because I know one of the things that you do so, so well is you get business owners to really just take a very objective look at their business through what you call the performance scorecard, right? Where, because numbers don't lie. We can go, we can go in our restaurant, we can go, oh, that, you know, the decor is beautiful, the logo's great, right? This meal works. But the numbers, when we put the numbers into the scorecard, they're going to tell you what is working and what isn't working. Because at the end of the day in business, you always have to be making money. And if you're not, you got to figure out where you're hemorrhaging, right? Like where you're actually losing it. So one thing I just wanted to point out is that you have very generously, correct me if I'm wrong, you've offered up a restaurateur's version of the performance scorecard so that people can input those numbers. This is pre-COVID so that you could see, you know, where were you losing money, right? Now, you also offered some really interesting stats, which I found very, very powerful in terms of best in sector performers. And as a restaurant, what their typical net profit is and uh, and direct cost. Do you mind sharing that? I know we're kind of moving into food costs, but even if we just talk about net profit. Every business, every restaurant has to fulfill their requirement to CRA by filling out their financial statements and sending them into CRA. So CRA in conjunction with Industry Canada extrapolates that information and they sort of categorize it for, for the sectors that they have. And so there is a database that it's not no longer available, but they were doing this for quite a few years, where they had the worst in sector, the average in sector, and the best in sector performers. So, And they looked at food costs, basically your direct costs. So in restaurants, if we look at sort of national averages, because we do know, and part of your statistics is that we do know that 50% of all businesses, regardless of food sector, but all businesses never make it to their fifth year. They're the ones that are considered the worst in sector. They're losing money. And basically the cause is lack of profits and the owner ends up giving up and then they end up going to work for somebody else. The average performers are 80% of those businesses that have surpassed five years. 80% of those businesses that have surpassed five years make less than 1% net profit. So when we look at net profits, so let's typically, let's take a look. If you have a 200,000, if you have a business that's generating $200,000 in revenue, which is not a whole lot, but 200,000, 1% is $2,000. So what do we need net profits for? To pay down debt, to buy new equipment, to replace equipment, to hire new staff, to train new staff, to deal with this COVID, to put some money aside for these ebbs and lows in the economy and pandemics and these type of things. Well, at 1% or $2,000, you're not going to get very far. So, But the best in sectors, according to Stats Canada, the best in sectors, which is the top 25 percentile of restaurant businesses in the full-service full business, full-service sector, their net profits are 5.2. But I can show you restaurants that are actually making 15 and 20% net profits. Their cost of goods... So, so if we look at the best in sector, cost of goods sold for food is 30%, meaning that whatever you put on the plate, you multiply by 3.3 to determine what you charge the customer. But when you, when you measure by volume, which is coming back to this quantity and quality, if you measure by volume and you pay by weight, well, if you have, some people will say, well, I use this bowl in order to uh, put the amount of food on the plate for one specific type of product. You know, they have it measured out. Yeah. But it's by volume. But then I have one person that's the, the, the bowl is flat 
The other person, there's a little bit of an indentation. The other person, there's a big mount on it. So different altogether. And this is where their food costs. So coming back to the performance scorecard is that in the restaurant business, normally your inventory should turn over every two weeks. Okay, because it's mostly perishable goods and you have stuff that you're you're preparing foods and selling them. So with the inventory turning over to every two weeks, you have a pretty good control of what your cost is because you're going to be purchasing on a regular basis. So the performance scorecard would simply re- record revenues. And I always put food and beverages separate in restaurants because there are two different sort of profit margin areas. And then I would put food costs and beverage costs, and then you monitor this on at least a month-to-month basis. But I'll tell you what, for most restaurants, I tell them to monitor it on a weekly basis. Because if you're off this week, you need to correct it next week. If you wait a month, you're already four weeks behind. Yeah, and so hard to fix it, right? So hard to fix it and get back on track. And the labor costs is typically the same thing. Labor costs should be between 24 and 28%. So, and again, so you're a cash business. So you know from one week exactly how much you paid for your payroll the week before, and you know what your revenue was. So you need to be able to monitor that. And what people don't understand, we need to convert numbers into percentages. So the performance scorecard sort of does that. And because we look at the numbers, the numbers go up and down all the time, but you're really not telling you what the information, it's not really telling you anything. But if you say, if you start to convert them to percentages and say, okay, my food costs is that 35%, I should be at 30. So what am I going to do next week in order to bring it down to 35? There's only three things you can do. One is you can either increase the price of your menu item. Secondly, is you can reduce the amount of item on your plate to reduce your direct cost of goods. Or thirdly, take it right off the menu, reintroduce it, put something else new on it, a little bit of a garnish or whatever, name it something else and price it right the third time. So that's ways that you can, you know, get your your cost of goods back to 30%. Now, I know for a fact that some of the, um, some restaurants are operating at 23, 24% food costs, but they're the ones that are making 18, 19% net profits. Okay. So what I'm hearing here is that, uh, first of all, if people are at this point right now in their business, they can always do this afterwards, but historically take a look at how you were operating before COVID to, to be able to, to fix the gaps. Take a look at that net profit. What I think is so important about what you just said as well, Ron, is in my experience, most business owners are looking at their darn numbers four months after year end when the accountant prepares the notice to reader and then they can't fix anything, right? So to your point, you know, make it a habit, start weekly, because when you're in the middle of it, then you can fix it. And you don't end up with a, you know, a tragic situation at the end of the year. So best practice, we're talking about at least hitting these best in sector performers, at least hitting a 5% net profit. But to your point, there are businesses, there are restaurants specifically performing at 15 to 20%. I think the big thing here is, is usually the afterthought right? It's like, well, whatever we make at the end of the year, that's just gravy to us. And to your point, you're saying, no, it is what, it's what allows you to grow. It's what allows you to sustain. It's your emergency net, right? It's your, your safety net. So just a couple of points to add to that is that if you can't measure it, you cannot manage it. Mm. So you need to measure it and you can only really measure with numbers. As you said earlier, numbers don't lie. So if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So if, 
the more frequent you have your financial information, the easier it is for you to make informed decision and change. So there should be no surprise when you get to year end. You're absolutely correct. Beautiful. So when we look at that, that that's, that's very important. Secondly, is that my philosophy is that every small business, no matter what sector they're in, should have a minimum of 10% net profit. The reason being is that you take 5% and you reinvest in the business, pay down debt, buy new equipment, become more efficient, hire new staff, train staff. The other 5%, you as an owner, you should be able to pay yourself a little bit more at the end of the year. So 5% for the business to reinvest, 5% for yourself. That gives you confidence that you're going in the right direction. Thirdly, is that you need to incorporate your fair market wage in there because if you're not paying yourself as an owner, then those numbers don't mean anything because it's not the true numbers. Okay, so let's just repeat that because, again, in my experience, the number of business owners, let alone restaurateurs, that are taking a salary, maybe may, like a fair market salary, maybe 25%, right? It's usually at the end of the month and whatever the business can afford them. So Ron is saying here, everybody, these numbers, your net profit includes a fair market wage for the owner. Um, do you have any suggestions, Ron, on where people can find that fair market salary? I know I've, I've got one in my back pocket, but I want to see if, if there's one that you would recommend. The, the, the simplest thing that I tell people is that if you work a to-go and work for somebody else for the same amount of responsibility, for the same amount of hours, what would you expect to be paid? Start there at least as a basis. And then you as an owner, add yourself another 15, 20% on top of that. On top of it. There you go. Um, Okay. So we've got best practices with respect to numbers. We've talked a lot about the, the food preparation. So again, you very generously have offered up a worksheet that allows people to understand. Um, So this worksheet, it's an Excel worksheet. They can input, there's an example there of what a dish looks like, all of the inputs with respect to costs, with respect to any sort of takeout materials, right? And then you've done all the heavy lifting there in terms of putting in the formulas. So it would show them ideally what a menu price would look like if they're sitting at a 30% direct cost situation, correct? That's right. One of the things that I look at is that When I go in and I do sort of a very quick financial analysis, which you just have to take a look at what your food cost was compared to your revenue, and you sort of, especially if it's separated between food and beverage, is simply if their food cost is not where it should be, I will recommend that they go through their whole menu and do every item to figure out exactly what it's costing them compared to what they're charging. But what it's costing them, they should be char- they should be multiplying by 3.3 to determine what that price should be. Then they will identify which of the menu items are actually, they're not quite making where they should be, and maybe some are fine. Okay. So that would be that would be one thing that, you know, I it's one one of the suggestions that I do with every business. And we right off the bat, we sort of figure out which one are the money makers and which ones are the losers. Beautiful. One important piece that I'd like to get in here is as you started talking about consistency with preparation and with meal and are you doing volume or are you doing, you know, quantity? Uh, let's talk a little bit about labor slash service, because as you alluded to the experience overall from the meal that you're eating to the service that you're receiving to how the food is actually prepared. I know we haven't talked about labor costs here, but can you kind of dovetail for us this theme of consistency with respect to 
the customer experience and the labor that's associated with that? And do you have any recommendations for efficiencies there? Well, mostly on that point is that um, small businesses in Canada cannot compete on price. Let's be, let's be honest about that. We can only compete on quality and service. And the service comes from your employees. You know, the wait staff that are dealing with customers, they're the ones that need, they really need to have that high customer training or, or customer satisfaction training. So when we talk about that, you know, you, we, we are all patrons. We all go to different restaurants. And listen, if I ask any one of you, and if you're actually a restaurant owner, I would recommend you go to other restaurants so that you can find out what are they doing right. And so, and then found out what they're doing wrong as well, but then you can maybe implement things in your own business. So coming back to the customer service is that I have found out over the years that that's where your money is. Because if you train your staff properly, you know, you don't want food to be waiting in the kitchen five, 10 minutes before it's put on the table. It's going to be cold. What people complain about most in restaurants is about cold food or um, not properly cooked or... Um, simply that it's it's not it's not a very good presentation. Ron, out of curiosity, then to leave our audience with like a key takeaway for customer service and consistency, what would your recommendation be? Certainly, you know, investing in human or, or in, in, in our employees is one of the most probably highest return on investment you're going to get. So, having your staff properly trained how to speak to customers making sure that they're happy all the time because it's going to be customer satisfaction. You know, there's a difference between loyal customers and satisfied customers. Satisfied customers will come back, but they're not going to tell anybody. Loyal customers will. So your way staff can work on communicating with your customers to get them to be loyal customers. And by that is providing them top quality service, top quality food, and making sure that they're getting a really good experience when they leave. So, Checking, you know, once they've gotten their meal, it doesn't take, you know, after they're five minutes minutes into their meal, you just stop by the table. How's everything? Is it to your liking? You know, and again, coming back to upselling is when you actually sitting down to the table, would you like an appetizer? Would you like some wine with that? Would you like a beverage? Would you like tea? Would you like coffee? And then so, and once the meal is over, listen, we got a wonderful dessert that's fresh from the oven that will go really beautiful with this meal. So it's always about upselling. This is where really customer, what I find at restaurants, the ones that are really successful, that's where they make the difference. Brilliant. So great information there. Um, The upselling piece too, just so everybody who's listening or watching this knows, we're going to be talking a little bit more about this in the next segment, which is how to hold the line through COVID, which includes some of these ideas about upselling and looking for every single penny that we can find through COVID. Um, The other really important thing, Ron, I just wanted to, to touch on here that you've brought up is customer service, especially now with social media, You know, people become your raving fans online and we have never depended more um, on social media and online service and loyalty from our customers. So, yeah, let's just not make them a, you know, a, a customer. Let's make them a raving fan online as well. So 
in summary, what I'm hearing, Ron, in terms of best practices, it really, again, is all about the numbers. So we're looking for direct costs of approximately 30%. We're looking for uh, indirect or operating expenses at approximately, and I'm trying to do the rough math, what was it? It's about 60%, but that includes your labor input. So you're, if you look at it this way, 30% food costs, 30% labor, 30% overhead, 10% for net profits. Keep it okay. simple. Beautiful. 30, 30, 30, 10. We got it. So um, please uh, download the worksheets that Ron has generously provided. You're going to find those in the show notes. Uh, You're also going to find a copy of the playbook, which is a high level summary of what we've discussed here. And uh, Ron, where can people reach you if they need to, to reach out to you directly? The best way I think would be email simply because there's a time difference between the West and the East Coast. Okay. So it'd be Ron Robichaud, so all one word, R-O-N-R-O-B-I-C-H-A-U-D, the number awesome. two, at gmail.com. Beautiful. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. So we've got an easy link to you. And always don't forget to, um, as always, don't forget to reach out to your uh, incredibly friendly neighborhood friends at Community Future Sunrise. They're a phenomenal team, a phenomenal resource for you. So as always, stay bold, stay brave, and please stay unabashedly um, profitable in business. We'll see you for the next segment. Welcome back, friends. You are tuning in to Nail the Numbers Gab Lab, and we are here for segment two of the Rural Resistance for Restauranters uh, episode and series with Ron Robichaud. And we're stepping into our second segment right now, which is how to hold the line through COVID. So, Ron, let's pick up where we left off. We've got restaurateurs now that are are familiar with best practices and things they can do once we kind of get through this COVID uh, pandemic. But as we're moving through right now, what are some of the suggestions that you have to create efficiencies within the business um, as we're experiencing COVID? Well, the one thing that we've realized and with the statistics that have come out from all COVID research is that health is a very big concern to a lot of people. So building confidence to your customers coming into your restaurant, safety and security, it seems to be very high on the list. So, and it's not necessarily just COVID here. And I think these are practices that we can do after COVID, but not necessarily maybe wearing masks and personal, you know, protection. But at the same time is that right now it's very important to show customers that they can be confident to come into your store or your restaurant and be safe and have security as well. So there's a few things that we have to look at. There's mask and personal PPE, personal protection, is that, um, we have to all show, also show customers that we are acting in, our, in your best interest by adhering to those rules and regulations, and we're trying to protect you as much as protect ourselves. So wearing masks and personal um, protection is important. The second thing is that 
you want to have people to have as much or as less contact as possible. So one of the things that people are doing is they're using innovative menus. If you, you know, the QR code. Mm -hmm. So all they have is on the table is a QR code and you can just take your phone and you can, um, and you can just take a picture of it. Then the whole menu will come to you. So you don't have to touch anything on the table. And so that's a way, especially that you can keep your, again, your patrons safe. The other thing is that you need to keep your distance. So make sure that you adhere to those six feet. I mean, you can speak to people, you can communicate with people, but adhere distances because people get a little bit anxious if, you know, just go to any grocery store right now, and if there's somebody right on your shoulder, you're going to be a little bit nervous. So the same thing will happen in your restaurants. Keep people safe. Keep your distance between especially the, the wait, wait staff and the patrons, but also between tables and that. So, again, making sure that you're adhering to those to, to continue to gain the confidence of your customers. Um, you also want to look at, you know, the staff screening and training. You want to make sure that your staff is taking this seriously because you never know which customer is going to come into the door. Some may not take it seriously. Some people think it's still a hoax, but I mean, but it's very important to a lot of people and the people that will patronize your restaurant will be the ones that are willing to pay, but they want to make sure that they're going to be there in confidence and security and in safety. Keep it clean. Show people that you're always cleaning after them. To give you an example, there was one, there was one sign at this one restaurant he says, we clean the doorknob after every person that comes in. Ten people came in, not one person went and cleaned the doorknob. So it's a mixed message. So you, if you're going to say something or do something, make sure you do it, because there you lose all the confidence again. So if that's not being done, what else is not being done? Yeah. And so the, the only last thing I want to touch on that is that contact tracing is that it's very when you're doing contact tracing, simply is that you're providing your name and just a phone number. You don't need their emails or anything like that. Just in case, you know, in the unfortunate event that a COVID, you know, uh, we would have a COVID situation in our business that we're able to contact you. We want to make sure that you're safe, that you... So I think those are the sort of the six points when we talk about safety and security that businesses should adhere to. And some of those practices should go on even after COVID. Beautiful. I think that, you know, what's brilliant too about the contact tracing, I was just at an event uh, the other day where it was a drive-in, uh, drive-in movie through a, um, a business organization. And it just showed the level of professionalism Right. And and how they were treating everybody's health as being, you know, priority number one, which really, to me, helped to build brand loyalty and position them outside of what their typical service offering is uh, with a very strong brand, a brand of compassion and really about putting the customer first. Um, Wonderful. A, a, a question for you. There's been so much, um, I'm not going to say controversy over masks, but, you know, some people are getting a rate. We don't even, you know, there's different parts of the world where masks are treated differently. What is your thought on, I've come back from Alberta and going into any retail establishment, including restaurants, the patron had to go in with a mask. And then as you were sitting down to the rest or sitting down to the table, this is when you could take the mask off. Do you have any thoughts on the actual customer and what, and I guess it, it would depend on policies and rules and regulations, but any thoughts on the expectation of the customer and maybe how to actually train team members on how to deal with expectations that aren't being met of customers in a way that 
you know, protects the rest of the patrons as well? Well, you know, and again, as, as an owner of a business in the past and, and, you know, having dealt with a lot of sort of controversial things when people come in, people have a choice. So, you know, if you're going to have rules and regulations in your business, you're trying to protect the majority of your customers. If, and, and I'm not sure if this is what you're alluding to, but some people just refuse to wear a mask. And so you have a choice as an owner. I, I would not allow a person in. Um, and it's not because I'm being disrespectful. It's just that I, ha- I need to protect. They have a choice. They can either come in or not come in. I don't have a choice. As a business owner, I have to adhere to the rules, but not only that, protect all my other customers. So, you know, I would, just, I would simply, you know, ask that person, either they wear a mask or please come back another time where masks are not, are, are not going to be uh, Perfect. I, yeah, I think you nailed it there, Ron. I think it's about the choice that people have. And to that point, just making your policy very clear, right? Making it clear online if people are looking for hours, making it clear on the windows, making it clear on the, you know, at the, the hostess desk. Like these are our, our policies. And I think for most people, it just gives them a sense of assuredness that just like you said, safety and security is mission number one right now. And our goal is to protect our staff and our patrons. And um, if we're talking about staff, right, and just efficiencies with staff and team members, what are some of the best practices or, sorry, the, the, the ways that we can create efficiencies through COVID with, with respect to our team? With, with COVID, there, you know, there is the waste subsidy program, which is actually extended right now. So I would certainly, you know, owners should take advantage of that. But don't just keep staff for the sake of keeping staff on. I think you got to look at, you know, if you're just going to be doing takeout now, you don't need wait staff. You may need one person to make sure preparation and these type of things. So you really need to look at your staff complement. What's the necessary work that needs to be done and only keep what's necessary. And so you want to maximize the efficiency. So if you have a kitchen and you have some, um, some cooks or chefs or whatever, depending on the type of restaurant that you have, is that there are many things to keep them busy. You know, there's always that food preparation that needs to be done because Right now, with, the, with, with COVID, I mean, restaurants are only allowed to take in 50% of what they could before. So their seating capacity is much lower. But, you know, if you look at it just doing takeout, well, now you don't have all these tables to clean and washrooms to clean. And, you know, the, you don't need to wait staff in that. So you got to look at your staff complement. Make sure you're using them to the best of the ability. Just bring them in when you need them. But, you know, you don't want to shortchange them, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you're providing all the services you can to your customers. So it's really about maximizing that. Again, we've gone as far as suggested to some people, use your facility like your kitchen and your and your, your, your kitchen staff to prepare foods maybe in order to sell them in another modality. By that, I mean you can prepare something and get it ready for sale so you could actually freeze it if you're selling pizzas, as an example, we've got people that are making pizzas and they're mm-hmm. freezing them. So now they're in a freezer at the door where people come in so they can buy ready to just uh, have to reheat or they're half cook or whatever. And that way they don't pay the HST or they don't pay the tax on it. So they're saving on the tax. And usually they'll charge a dollar or two less because they don't, have to, they, don't, they don't have to cater to the customer at their table. So now they don't have to wait staff. So they're still maintaining their costs 
um, in line with the best in sector performers, but they're maximizing the efficiency of staff that they have. So not overdoing them. Your number, if your numbers go down, then your staff should, yeah. should, should go down. Well, and I think this, Ron, comes back to, you know, our first segment where you were talking about the performance scorecard and the numbers as percentages always still need to line up. So to your point, if your revenue is dropping, then still your, you know, your operating expenses still need to stay at that 60%. And in my experience, this can be the toughest part for the business owners to have these hard conversations with people right? The numbers aren't fun, but having the conversations with people. So I think we've had this conversation before and you had some really good ideas on potentially how to facilitate some of these conversations with your, with your staff, making it kind of a group dynamic, right? And just saying, here's what we need to do in this business. What are your suggestions? What are your ideas? How can we contribute to the solutions together? It's even more important now to have communication with your staff. You know, you you have some key staff that you really don't want to lose. But I think you need to keep them abreast of what's going on, what the situation is. You want to be able to keep them for the long run, not just the short run. So your business has to be profitable even in the short run. So look at it this way. Let's say you're paying somebody 40 hours a week. I'm using that as an example. Now, you, you know, you've got reduced you know, volume of business and that. So what if you had to reduce it to 35 hours a week? So now you're saving five hours on 40, right? Instead of paying them 40 hours, you're paying them 35. So five divided by 40 is exactly 12.5%. You're going to save 12.5% on labor costs if you just do that. That probably guarantees their job a little bit longer. Yes, it's a few less hours a week. But listen, it's probably better than the alternative, which yeah. is no hours at all and 50% on EI. So, and I know there is, you know, there's the serve, but that's only going to last a, a certain amount of time. Yeah. I think we need to look at the long run for businesses. They've got to really, uh, they've got to protect their employees, but you also have to sit down and really have that conversation, making sure everybody understands and they're doing their part. Super smart, super smart. So I think the other thing that potentially we can explore here is that, One option, obviously, is cutting down on hours, but then business owners can also look for ways to get more creative in the kitchen, right, which might protect some of those hours, specifically as we look at menu items. And to your point, um, and I know we're going to be talking about this more in the quick fire round, different things that business owners can do, um, ideas, but you know, like you said, the frozen meals, getting those prepared, getting those packaged, the grab bags, you know, getting into catering, takeout meals all together, right? So just different things to explore there. What are some of the other things um, in terms of efficiencies with menu? Because I know that you've got some really great ideas with respect to how to potentially save some money in this, uh, in this midst of, you know, supplier chain issues and, you know, all these different things that we're going through right now. Yeah, a lot of restaurants, and I, they try to cater to everybody. So when you look at the menu, they may have 25 or 30 different menu items. This is not the time to try and satisfy all the customers. You know, pick the top 5, 10 most popular items on your menu, downsize your menu, and serve those. With those that you've identified, make sure that you know what exactly your cost is and what your margin is. 
so that you're just really selling the high margin stuff. This is not the time to be selling items that are just on the, on the, on the menu in order to satisfy a few, but there's not much margin in it. This is not the time to do that. So under COVID is look at your menu, downsize it. The other thing that's going to happen there is that now you're going to reduce the amount of inventory. You, you don't have to have inventory for 25 different menu items. Now you only need inventory for five to 10 menu items, which you can do very efficiently. You can get it out very quickly and then your turnover is going to be much quicker. So you reduce your inventory, you reduce your menu items, you focus on the high margin areas and you pump a lot of that out. And can we talk a little bit about those, um, maybe potentially revamping some of those menu items so that you're not using the high margin ingredient in it, right? So it's still kind of looks and sounds like the same menu suggestion, but now you're using a different, a different cut of meat or, you know, a different fish. Any suggestions there or any examples that come to mind or stories? I think what we need to keep in mind is that people are still going to be accustomed to the quality and, and the taste of how you are preparing your food. So I know I wouldn't necessarily change too much Okay. But I think that I would make sure that I am, again, if you, if you have a reduced menu, but you have, you're having just as much volume or, or more volume because you're only selling a certain menu, you're going to get some cost savings by ordering more and getting more uh, discount by volume. Now, mm-hmm. you can substitute some things, but again, I would re- as long as it's a very close substitution, that's fine. But this is also an opportunity for you to look for new suppliers. You know, mm-hmm. so it's, it's an opportunity to do your homework because there are people out there that are in the same boat as you are and they're trying to move product out the door. So you may be able to find a new supplier with even higher quality products at a lower price. So I think you, you always have to be doing your due diligence, have conversations with your suppliers. That's so smart, Ron, because I know you've mentioned this in other boot camps, right? To even have the call to say, we'd like to negotiate a new rate, right? And you save one to 2% and that goes right to your bottom line, right? And, and to your point in the, the first segment, if you think in percentages, instead of that dollar value all the time, this is where really the, the pennies start to add up. And yeah. One example is, you brought up the point, but one example, I had one, one business owner, which, you know, again, I asked him, just call the supplier. Well, he says, I've never done that before. Well, just give him a call. What, what, is, what is he going to say? Just no. So anyway, so he called and he says, you know, I've been with you for a long time. You know, I've been supporting you. I've been buying most of my products from you. Is there any chance I could get a 1% discount on my, my orders? The guy says, nobody's ever asked me that before, but sure, I'll give you. I don't want to lose you as a customer. You're a good customer to me. So he gave him 1%. But he says, I'll tell you what. He says, if you pay within 10 days, I'll give you an extra 2%. So now we just cut his food cost by 3%. So, you know, like every percentage count, take care of the pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. I love it. I love it. And this is a penny industry, people. This is the restaurant business. This is where you have to count every single penny. So um, I just wanted to, to insert here, just so everybody knows, Ron, again, has very generously uh, been giving us some worksheets. Um, and to this point, the menu costing is a worksheet from the last segment. So go in right? That, that, that direct cost, we're looking for 30% 
uh, go in, download that worksheet, take a peek at it. Um, and then there's also a worksheet on uh, limiting menu items and maximizing margins. So this is more, it's not Excel, it's just to get you taking a look at your existing menu and to Ron's point, which ones would be your, your top sellers? How can we start to eliminate those, those, higher, um, those higher priced or high priced margin items and end up with your, uh, your cream that rises to the top? People need to realize that if there's any shipping that they have to pay for products coming in, also all the condiments, the paper products, mm. the takeout, all of that has to be in your 30%. It's not 30% just food costs. It's 30% with everything included. Your sugar, your salt, your pepper, your ketchup, everything. It's got to be included in there. So all the consumables, but not the labor, correct? That's right. That's yeah, correct. okay. And, you know, one thing I see everybody miss on this is your uh, your merchant fee and transaction fee. So that can be 2.6%, right? And that gets attached to that actual transaction. So don't forget that one. All right, let's gear up right now for takeout. So, you know, this I think is a no-brainer. I think a lot of restaurateurs are probably already looking at this, the curbside, the takeout. What are your thoughts on this on on different uh, practices they can implement through COVID? So again, those restaurants that had to close Um, and didn't really reopen very quickly is simply because they were not geared for takeout. Um, But those restaurants that I know of that actually were simply just sit-down restaurants and they started looking at a takeout option, curbside pickup, even delivery at home have flourished. And so we've seen a very big difference. So instead of just closing your doors and sort of putting your hands up and giving up, they just look at what are the things that we can do with our business. We already have a facility. We have some labor. We know how to produce things. How can we get it to customers? And so this gearing up for takeout, is just a mindset. And one of the things that you got to keep in mind, again, the mindset of gaining confidence with your customers is that if you're going to do takeout, make sure that there's a clear pad going in and a clear pad going out. Don't use the same door because what's happening in some of the restaurants where people are meeting each other going in and out loses all the confidence in COVID so in the, because of the pandemic. So where people are confident, they're going to go in one door, pick up their order and leave through another door. The confidence is high that they have safety and security. Those are the restaurants that are really really doing well. The ones that are not geared up for that, I've seen a lot of people stop frequenting those restaurants. And right now they're actually closed because they weren't able to gear up properly for that takeout and curbside pickup and, and, and home delivery. Wow. And, and the home delivery, it seems like this is kind of this, you know, we're in this era right now where we've got skip the dishes and Uber Eats and it, it we lose a little bit of control in that at home delivery piece, don't we? Or are, do you think that there's, I guess it's just checking in with that delivery service to ensuring what their protocols are, because once the food leaves your establishment, then they've got it, they bring it to the customer and then your brand is, you know, you've lost control at that point. So any tips on that? I know I'm throwing that at you, but. Well, no, it's, it's the same thing. You have to have reassurance with every service provider that's working in your business. So are they all adhering to the rules and regulations? And even are they going over and above? I mean, you don't have to follow the, you know, the minimum rules and regulations. Why don't you go a step above so you're proving to people that you are, you know, you are taking the necessary steps in order to protect your customers. So I think it's a, it's a very valid point, uh, Tanya, that we need to really make sure that you know, not only that, but we need to also follow up with our customers. There's also that 
sort of customer satisfaction. Now is an even more important time to keep in communication with our customers because we're not seeing them face to face a lot of times. So maybe, you know, it's not a bad thing to even call them up and, or, or a text or whatever and say, you know, how was, how was the product? Was there anything, you know, did you receive it in good or good order? Are you confident that it was well handled? Those type of things. Why not do that? I mean, yes. that's where you're going to build your confidence. That's brilliant, Ron. I think that's a great point to end on. You just go above and beyond, right. To demonstrate that commitment that you have to, to your customer and create those raving fans out of them so that they can start to share this um, externally, right. Social media and, and, uh, and through their networks as well. Okay, so big takeaways from this one, Ron. Thank you. So holding the line, safety and security, number one of your patrons, of your staff, team efficiencies. So yes, potentially a reduction in hours, but also maximizing their time when they're there. There should be no downtime, right, for the team that you have. Um, Limiting your menu items, maximizing your margins was your third point, and then gearing up for for taking out and making sure that um, you're even those you know, those third parties are doing what they need to do and that you're doing, uh, you're doing the follow-up. So again, where to reach you, if you want to connect with Ron, please um, check out his email. We're going to have that in the show notes. Uh, as always, reach out to your, your friendly neighborhood community futurist. The team at Sunrise uh, is there to support you in business. Just, you know, they are the front line right now, the triage of the, uh, the business emergencies that we're seeing in the country. So, so grateful for their support. And as always, uh, stay brave, stay bold, stay unabashedly profitable through COVID and nail those numbers. We'll see you for the next segment, which is our quick fire segment, just different ideas to create top line revenue for you and your, your restaurant business through COVID. All right. Welcome back, everybody. You are tuning in for Nail the Numbers, the Gab Lab. We are in segment three with Ron Robichaux, the one and only, heeding the call of entrepreneurs and restauranters across the country. So thanks again, Ron. It is great to have you back here for this third segment. And this one is what we're calling um, the quick fire round, right? So we're, we're going to go quickly on this. We really just wanted to give you some ideas that can help you with top line revenue growth um, to just kind of, you know, stay the course here through COVID and uh, make sure that you can stay in business through this. So let's take a look at gift cards. You've got a lot of businesses right now that people are working in this sector and they're vulnerable in a sense. So that businesses are providing them with either sort of danger pay or whatever you may want to call it. So we've had restaurants go to some of these businesses and say, listen, we want to stay open as a business, as a restaurant in your community, please support local. So why don't you offer gift cards to your employees as opposed to just giving them more pay and a gift card to come to our restaurant and to buy some meals. It may not pay the whole meal, but it'll pay a good portion of it and they just have to pay the bill, the difference. So that seems to be working quite well. And the more, businesses that you're approaching, the more that are willing to support you. So it's just getting out there and having some conversations. 
awesome gift cards. And I think there's a lot of organizations now too that are really campaigning to support local, right? So getting them potentially to mention too, you know, get, get out there, get your gift cards for your restaurants. Um, Corporate sponsors. What do you mean by corporate sponsors? Well, it's, it's a little bit of the same thing, but this is a, it's a little bit of a different twist. So again, having some, some businesses that are supporting local business, supporting local restaurants, and it's simply um, that they sort of partner together so that they're putting events on or those type of things. So again, it's helping the, the, the restaurant to be able to stay open, to prepare some foods. And it might be um, for a specific cause. It might be for, you know, a Relay for Life, or it might be for, you know, any kind of sporting events or whatever. And I mean, there's not that many around now. But the things that are, are, being, uh, are being done is that they're getting corporate sponsors in order to support the restaurant, to prepare their meals so that people are getting something for something. So it's a little bit of a, it's, it's just a, a way of giving back to the community instead of just giving a donation. Beautiful. Love it. And then, so I'm throwing this one in there because it sparked something for me. It's um, private events, right? And hosting. I mean, this is the time where you're down to, you're down your capacity, right? You're down 50%. So closing the restaurant for corporate events, right? Letting them know your space is available as long as it, it adheres to whatever that number is, right? That our government has in place right now. I think it's 30. I could be wrong. This is so fluid and it changes all the time, but um, putting your space up there and, and out there, letting people know that it's available. Well, what we're noticing as well, too, is that a lot of businesses don't want to let their employees go out for lunch because, you know, to try and contain, they don't want them to be all around everywhere. So yes. they're having these restaurants cater to them for lunches and that. So it's, it's working quite well. So again, it's just providing more services to the businesses and the business community. So you can call it sponsorship in a sense, but it's a way of, you know, keeping the restaurants open, but they're bringing the foods to the businesses. So Beautiful. whether it's meeting or those type of yeah. things or lunches and they, so it's preventing people from going out all over the place. So smart. And, you know, I was at an event yesterday where they had this, this brilliant idea of just, it was all takeout food, but it was all packaged for each consumer. So it wasn't a tray of sandwiches, right? It wasn't a tray of, it was just, here's your popcorn, your drink, your sandwich, your cookie, all in one bag. It's yours, limited contact. So very smart ideas there. What about, um, and we talked a little bit about this in an earlier segment, but frozen and prepared meals. A lot of the restaurants, they have more capacity now than probably the demand, you know, for just preparing foods for whatever people are calling in for. So this is to be able to build up a little bit to prepare more food than what the demand is. But then they may be able to... um, uh, what we've seen is that they, they've been negotiating with small stores, like whether it's grocery stores or, you know, just the mom sort of type of stores and that. So they're preparing meals, whether it's a pizza or whether it's lasagna or whatever. And then what they're doing is they're selling it sort of wholesale, not necessarily losing any margin, but selling it wholesale to the, to the rest, to the, to the grocery store, the little business. And then in turn, they are selling it to consumers. Now, the other thing we've seen also is that some of these restaurants have put a cooler or a frozen uh, a freezer right in their entrance so that people can come in and just pick some of those frozen prepared meals right off the shelf without paying any tax because it's not hot. And, uh, and that way there, um, some consumers are feel that they're saving. And at the same time, it's just moving more product out from their business. Love it. And so I know in another, uh, in one of our earlier segments, we talked about upselling and one of the examples that uh, that I've seen is actually a, it's a restaurant or, you know, a, a food establishment in Alberta called Santerra. 
they had this brilliant idea of uh, taking a, a meal, but all of the meals, so everything that you would upsell it with, right? So your salad, your sides, your buns, your dessert, the entree itself, and they put that in a grab bag and they, you know, here's what the grab bag is worth. It's $50, but you don't even need to go to the coolers and buy everything. Grab bags there, it can go out to the curb, it goes right into the car. Um, and then, you know, to that point, it reminds me, and I started to see this being done last year before COVID, but the number of restaurants that were actually doing um, meals for Thanksgiving um, through COVID, there a, a restaurant called Sweet Cup up in, uh, up in, oh, forgive me, I think it's Tisdale, did this brilliantly through COVID. She did Easter meals. It was the entire meal with all of the baked goods. It was this big, big basket um, that she just delivered to uh delivered to families in that area so with that too you not only are selling the item but you're getting the money up front right because you're taking pre-orders so just another idea for people to consider there and in Nova Scotia some people are actually including liquor in that package ah. in that bundle a bottle of wine or sometimes it's just a few beers or it might be because now they've relaxed the rules a little bit because people can't come to their full uh, service restaurants. So they're allowing the restaurants and takeouts to allow them to, um, to supply the liquor as well. Oh, so smart. This is where, you know, entrepreneurs are great at being creative, right? And this is where you've got to to turn your creative juices on and, and come up with these ideas. Yeah. The local golf course is selling more liquor this year than they ever did because of the takeouts. <laughs> wow. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's good margin on liquor, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Margin is the name of the game, right? Profit, profit. Absolutely. Profit. Um, what about creating an experience? Well, this is the thing where, you know, we have an opportunity in life. Again, the world has changed. The way we buy, the way we purchase things, the way we're going to consume things. Now we're looking for experiences. We're not going, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people, we're not going on these trips. We're not spending ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 on cruises and going around the world. They're staying home, but they're looking for experiences. So some people are actually bringing in a chef in their own home from a local restaurant to prepare them a meal. And so there, there's things like this that are happening, using their own kitchen and everything else, but you know, they sanitize and everything else, but it's a, it's an, it's a different type of experience. So they still have this disposable income. They want to do something different. So they're giving them just a different experience. Oh, I love that, Ron. And I don't know what this would look like, but it reminds me of when I was living in BC, they did a really good job of cooking instruction, right? It wasn't just like you cook with them, right? And here's the ingredients and everything that you need. So I love that idea. So many ways that we can create experiences and, um, you know, to that point, too, it reminds me again of this, this drive-in experience that I had yesterday where you could see businesses partnering up. So it was a local, you know, uh, business support organization that was partnering up with restaurants to do the food, to offer the drive-in documentary, right? And typically this was done in a gala format, but we just need to go out on a limb and, like you said, create experiences, create partnerships, find ways to leverage um, you know, community members and, and what they're great at. I can feel you want to say something here. If a restaurant is feeling sort of in the rut and not knowing where to go, why don't you invite five to 10 people, but have some good social distancing in your business, give them a meal if you have to, and just all you, it's like a focus group. What kind of things could we do for you? 
Mm. You just get different ideas coming in. And I think that would be, you know, like, you should never be stagnant. There should always be some, well, you know, if people come up with 20 different ideas, they may not all be good. But, you know, if you start to evaluate those ideas, you can, and once you run out, get another group in. You know, like, don't stop the process. Be creative. Beautiful. It reminds me of what we're doing right here, right? Like we came with a couple of ideas and as we're talking, there's more and more, you know, avenues and arteries to go down. One of the businesses that I was in, every second week, I'd get the staff in and say, okay, what else could we do for our customers? And they always came up with something. And we always, this is why we quadrupled the sales in a year. (laughs) I love it. It's just, and and, and, and sort of, this was in the... um, the uh, mid eighties, late eighties, where, you know, you had some sort of depressions. So, I mean, yeah, there's yeah. always things you can do. Yeah. And you know, what reminds me of um, in this documentary I was watching last night, Pineview Farms, uh, a, a Saskatchewan business in the market for poultry. And, and so raising chickens and then into the production piece, but they left with a really important comment, which was um, what really kind of kept them alive. A big piece of it through COVID was the fact that they had multiple uh, customers, right? They had the consumer, they had the consumer base, but they also had the corporate base. And so just something for you to consider. Yeah. As we were talking about prepared meals, right? Is there another market for you to go after instead of just relying on, you know, definitely our bread and butter, that consumer, but is there a corporate market there for you? And what are your thoughts? You had some great ideas on extending seasonality out east where you're at and what you've been seeing some of the restaurants do there. Well, you know, because of the limited space, it had to go cut back to 50% inside their restaurant. What they've gone is they've gone outside where they can. So they've put out outside patios, mm-hmm. but now we're getting into the fall a little bit. So now they're putting a little bit of windbreakers and those type of things and putting radiant heaters and that, which doesn't cost a whole lot, but they're extending their season. Plus people are much more comfortable by sitting outside than sitting inside. I'll give you an example. Uh, my wife and I had a uh, an anniversary here, 37 wedding anniversary on July 23rd. So we went to this one restaurant and it was cloudy a little bit in that. So we, we walked in and he said, we'd like to sit in the patio. We don't, we're not comfortable enough to sit inside. Well, I'm sorry. It looks like rain. So we, we haven't, we're not going to open up the patio. So we walked out. So then we went to another restaurant, which was in about 10 miles away. And we asked the same thing. Patio was closed. No problem. We'll set you the table. So they put a table. They put an umbrella. They came. We spent $150 for a meal, my wife and I. One restaurant lost out. The other one won. But it's just, it's the experience again. So they catered to us. And it was outside. So these are the type of things that people need to, you know, this is where staff need to be trained to be, what can I do for you? Is there something I can, within my control that I can do? And there was no reason why the other restaurant couldn't have done that. But yeah. the manager or the owner probably wasn't there. So. so, yeah, thinking outside of the box, and it goes back to your point of just creating the customer experience, right? And it, if it wasn't pre-thought, just think in that moment of, because that's where the memories are. I bet you're going to remember that anniversary dinner more so than oh, yeah. some of the other ones you had, right? And, you know, we have a lot of wineries here. And, and, you know, we have about 18 wineries here within 15 minutes of us. And they're, they're all open. And, you know, but, they, you know, as you come in, there's a stack of blankets. If you want to sit outside mm. with a blanket, mm. you're more than welcome to use one. And what they'll, they'll wash them once they're gone. But I mean, yeah. so they're creating an experience. So they can be outside enjoying a glass of wine in the fresh air. But if it's cool, they've got blankets. They've got, you know, they've got all kinds. They're catering to the customer. Beautiful. I think we just got to look at ways and how we can make their experience wonderful. 
Absolutely. And I think too, you know, I, I recently went up to Banff and what I saw them do very well in Banff, and I think Saskatchewan's actually very good at this as well, is uh, they really leveraged um, the the local businesses, the wineries, the distilleries. We're seeing this, you know, insurgence of these, these micro breweries that are popping up, right? And distilleries. And so on the menu, that's what they featured, right? And they featured drink menus, drink items that weren't just your, you know, your, your rum and Coke. It was, you know, this specific liqueur and whatever it was that were, so it was just a way to promote local and make sure everybody gets through this and, and uh, to the best of their ability. So it's all for medicinal purposes anyway. Exactly. 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 (laughs) So, you know, brilliant ideas. Um, I hope that gets the juice juices going, the creative juices going for those that are listening. I mean, I think we could talk about this for forever, right? This is part of the fun part is the brainstorming part, but let's just bring it back to the numbers. Uh, I know this is everybody's like, Oh, do we have to talk about numbers? Cause we do need to talk about, the return that you get for the effort in businesses, especially entrepreneurs, because we are creative. We love ideas. We're the butterfly chasers. We're the visionaries. But let's talk about your time slash return on investment and, and what people really need to consider restaurateurs before they start going crazy on all these ideas. Well, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, Time is a resource that we don't have. We can't create. There's only a limited amount of time. When today is gone, it'll never come back. But what we have to recognize is the time that we're spending in our business is also the time that we're generating revenue for other personal obligations. So, you know, we have to make sure that we're making enough menu as owners, as restaurant owners should be looking at it, that can they fulfill their personal obligation, financial obligations, so they can, you know, feed the family and pay the bills and have a house to to live under or a roof to live under and, you know, and also put some money aside, you know, like break even status quo is never an option. We always have to look at putting a little bit of money aside. This is, it's sort of the same philosophy in business. I talk about 10% net profit in business. Well, on the personal side, 10%. If you put 10% aside of your income on the yearly basis, you know, aside by the age 55, I can almost guarantee you, you will be a millionaire. So, but the people aren't doing that. So, I mean, they're just, they're, they're living check by check and they're not putting any money aside. And, you know, so we have to, we really have to budget some of those things. So running a household is no different than running a business because you have revenue that comes in, which is your paycheck and it's got to be enough to pay all the bills. So you got to make sure that the time you're putting into your business, you're being paired, paid a fair market salary. And that needs to be incorporated into your calculations when we talk about numbers from a business perspective. So from the restaurant perspective, we're talking 30% for all of the food costs or direct costs, which includes all of the papers and and sundry, not sundry, but condiments and everything else. And then when we talk about 30% labor, that 30% includes the owner's wages, okay? And then we have 30% to pay all of the other operating expenses, and we have 10% aside. That way there you can overcome these ebbs and lows. Listen, this pandemic, maybe we're, you know, some people are saying it's going to last another two or three years. Mm-hmm. It really gets to some normalcy. But then, you know, so it's a new normal. So we need to adapt. We need to change. But there's a lot of people that are flourishing in this sector. There's a lot of people that have taken this as an opportunity to grow, as an opportunity to look at other options. And so they're they're actually taking advantage of that. Those that are just standing by and hoping for somebody to save them, 
that's they might tough. have already closed their doors, right? We're that's seeing a lot of that already. Oh, so there was so much in there that I want to dive into, um, but you know, to to keep it uh, to keep it short for people, the one thing that has come up on every segment of this series of you know rural resistance for restaurateurs, pay yourself a salary. Listen, your business is not going to survive if you don't survive. You have to. You're the oxygen mask. You have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself and your family at home. Otherwise, your business doesn't have a chance, right? And I know there's a lot of business owners that are just scraping by right now. So first and foremost, let's do that. Um, And so the second piece that I just want to clarify for people that as you're looking at these initiatives, so Ron, early on in that first piece, if you haven't watched it, go back and, and look at best practices because Ron is suggesting that to be a best in sector performer in the restaurant business, even through COVID, we are looking for 30%. So your revenue comes in 30% direct cost, 30%, sorry, 30% sales, 30%. No. How does this go, Ron? 30% direct cost, 30% indirect. Yes, and 30% labor. And 30% labor. Thank you. So 30, 30, 30, and then a 10% profit. So in that first series, we're talking about how you do that as a business. And what Ron is suggesting here now with these initiatives that you are contemplating, run the numbers for the initiative. What's the projected revenue? 30% direct cost, then 30% labor, 30% operating expenses, 10% net profit for that initiative. And if those numbers aren't adding up, it's probably not a good investment of your time, right? Do the numbers. It always comes back to the numbers. That's why we're all about nailing the numbers. What do you want to say, Ron? If it's not 30, 30, 30, make changes in your business to make it 30, 30, 30. You, you can do that. Any business can do that. Yes, yes, you can. Um, and Ron is there to support you. He is your champion in this. Uh, he is the guy to speak to. So, uh, Ron, we've got your email down in the show notes, right? You've mentioned that's the best way for people to get a hold of you because you're, you're out east right now. Um, as always, if you're in the southeast, please reach out to your friendly neighborhood community future sunrise team. They're there to support you, especially through all the different acronyms that we've got going on now between Canadian emergency wage subsidy and the business subsidies. I'm not even going to get into them all, but uh, they are there for you. Um, We so appreciate you watching this entire series, all three segments. Uh, This is here to help restaurateurs those in business, in the food industry, really kind of make it through um, these, and I don't want to say challenging times, because Ron, the other piece that you mentioned is that it's your perspective on this situation, right? And there are clients, we both have clients that are thriving through COVID because they're seeing this as an opportunity to get super smart with where they're at. Ron, you've given us so many invaluable tips, and you've got one more, I can tell. You've got something to say. I just want people not to forget. If you're getting away subsidy, don't count that. That is gravy. You shouldn't base your business model on that wage subsidy. Operate your business as if you're not getting any subsidy. Then you will be fine. So to clarify, you're saying don't include that in your income stream. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So all those other forms of income, I think that's a really great point, right? Because that does not speak to the efficiency of your business model. That and that's going to run out one day, and you need yes. to keep on operating without it. Probably, probably. well, I won't even speculate as to when that will run out, because it's not factual, so I'll leave it. <laughs> All 
right. So everybody, please, you know, stay brave out there, stay bold and unabashedly profitable in your business. Profit is not a dirty word. It is your lifeline in business. It is what will allow you to ride this COVID wave. So please, please, please make profit the forethought, not the afterthought. Go out there, nail your numbers, get it done. Ron's available for you. Community future offices are available for you. Uh, there's so many phenomenal organizations that we'll post in the show notes here. But um, Ron, thank you for your time and your generosity in Community Future Sunrise. Thank you for championing the series. So appreciate you and all that you do. And uh, everybody stay safe out there. Thanks for watching. Thank you for the opportunity.